You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Good morning. I'm really glad y'all are here. I'm excited to uh, share my share my story with y'all, and and re- and really, it's a it's a special day also because on September 9th of last year, so one year ago yesterday, I had my first chemo treatment. So it really is a big deal to be standing here in front of you today, and it's uh, I know. So I'm, I. And I'm very grateful to be sharing, uh, sharing this moment with y'all in particular because y- you've been there through the whole thing. So thank you. It's only right that it's only right to, to share it here with you. Uh, so let's open the word. Uh, let, let's do it. Open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. I really want to preach this passage so bad right now, but you're going to get a story. What I want is for you to hear that sort of in the background as I'm sharing my testimony so mid-August of last year, I was diagnosed with stage 3C ovarian cancer. It's called a silent killer because usually by the time a diagnosis happens, it's already out of control. And that's what happened to me. I began to notice symptoms in January of last year, but it was nothing serious enough to really cause me any concern. So I just kind of ignored it and, and went on with my life until June when I experienced a a sharp pain in one of my ovaries. I knew then something was wrong, so I, but I didn't have insurance, so I kind of had to wait to be seen, but I I got on the schedule to see a gynecologist in late August of last year, and then I just hunkered down and intent to push through. I kept to my regular routines and just went on with life. Shortly after that, my abdomen began to swell, and I began to feel a lot of fatigue, and I was incredibly uncomfortable from the swelling, and I couldn't eat, so I started to lose weight. Uh, But because I didn't have insurance, I decided to wait for my appointment instead of going to the emergency room until I was so miserable I, I couldn't stand it anymore. So on Friday, August the 12th, last year, I came here for a barbecue dinner. It was a Friday night. And I can remember walking through those doors from the back office area, and I was met 
with Carolyn and Krista. They were standing close to the worship space doors. And I saw their faces, and they just looked so concerned. And I think they've read all over my face how miserable I was, and they could see it also in the way that I was moving. So they urged me to go to the emergency room. So I did. I left. I went home. Kurt drove me to the ER. And as triage assessed my situation, they asked all the regular questions. One of the questions they asked me was if I was pregnant because I looked like it. It looked like I could have been six or seven months along. But I assured them that was not the case. <laughs> um, and I told them what my suspicions were. I thought I had a cyst on one of my ovaries and there was nothing more to it than that. So they took me back to get a scan and then put me in a room to wait for the doctor to come in and give me the results. And my daughter, Olivia, was working the ER night, that, that night. She's a, she's a nurse. And she came in with the doctor and she pulled up the results on a computer screen and it was video. So you could just see moving, you know, moving through my body. And what we saw on the screen was unbelievable. I mean, I did indeed have ovarian cysts, not one, but two, one on each ovary. And the one on the left was about as big as my hand. And the one on the right wasn't much smaller. They were huge. And the doctor told me that I needed surgery immediately and he wanted to admit me right then. But when I told him I didn't have insurance, he sort of changed his plan and, and sent me home and told me that someone would call to schedule the surgery. So Kurt and I went home. But while, while we were there um, doing the, looking at the scan results, Kurt had taken out his phone and he made a video of what we were seeing on the screen. So we didn't exactly wait. Kurt sent that video to his father, Robert Hill and Millie. That's his father and his wife. And they're both medical professionals. Kurt's, Kurt's father was a surgeon. So they kind of knew, I think they knew what they were looking at. So they kind of went into overdrive at that point. And, and Millie got on the phone and made some calls. And she had me at a gynecologist's office that Monday morning. Um, and that was when I heard the word cancer for the first time. The doctor, she did an exam and an ultrasound, and then she shared with me what she thought it was, and, and I, was, I was in shock. But everything moved very quickly after that. She referred me to an oncologist at Augusta University's medical center, and maybe a day or two later, I was, I was sitting in front of my new doctor. Um, and she did more tests, and then I got my official diagnosis, which was stage 3C ovarian cancer, and my treatment plan that same week very fast, and, and she scheduled surgery for the afternoon of August the 30th. So, you know, my entire life just sort of stopped in its tracks, and y'all know I disappeared. <laughs> and everything flipped upside down. I mean, I had so many questions, very few answers, and uh, I began to face a lot of uncertainty, and it left me feeling very insecure about my future. I really did think I was gonna die. And then when I got home that day and did my due diligence, you know, Googled, <laughs> I consulted Google and I was sure I wouldn't make it through. The statistics are not very encouraging at all. And I was diagnosed with high-grade serous carcinoma. There are three types of ovarian cancer and this is the most aggressive. Um, and the American Cancer Society ranks it fifth, ovarian cancer fifth in uh, cancer deaths among women accounting for more deaths than any other cancer of the female reproductive system. 
And my doctor believes that my cancer originated in my fallopian tube, which statistically offers much lower survival rates. So things did not look good for me. And so as I waited for surgery, my abdomen continued to swell. And by the time I made it to surgery, I was in terrible shape. But I made it, and I had high expectations. I thought the surgery would be successful. They would get all the cancer out. I might have to do a round or two of chemo to get whatever they didn't see. And then I'd be done, right? Not at all how it went. <laughs> Somehow, even after all I read about the disease and all the statistics, I still didn't understand how serious it was until after my first surgery. When my doctor opened my body, she was met with a complete mess. She could not even see the organs she planned to remove. So there was no way, there was no way it could happen. So she drained the fluid off my body. There was 12 liters of fluid in my body. And she closed me up and went home a couple, a couple days later. But I remember waking up from that surgery. And I looked around and I saw Kurt. And I saw the rest of my family. And I saw Christopher there. And everybody looked really sad. And at this point, I had no idea what was going on. And I, I began to feel fear kind of rise up in me. And I reached down and I felt my abdomen. And it was flat. So it was like, yeah, so everything, so I'm like, everything's fine. But I looked around and it's grim faces. Then Kurt leaned down and he whispered in my ear to tell me that Dr. Johnson could not do the surgery and the cancer was still there. And I was crushed. I really felt mortified and disgusted. And I just cried and cried. And at that moment, it started to sink in just how serious things were. I had cancer. It was bad. I might not make it through. And by judging from the faces in the room that day, I wasn't the only one thinking that way. I suddenly felt very small and very powerless. And I think we all did. So as a person in recovery from drug addiction, I know the 12 steps pretty well. And the 12 steps of AA and NA, step one, reads, uh, we admitted we were powerless over drugs and alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. And that one was really easy to admit back in 2011. I was sitting in prison after a lifetime of meth addiction and I could see clearly my life was unmanageable. But the same step reads a different way in our Free Tuesdays group. It, it reads like this. We admitted we were powerless over our circumstances and that our lives had become unmanageable. And I really struggled with that one before cancer. I'm, I'm a fairly independent person, so there's always something I can do. There's always something I can do to affect change in my life. I'm strong, I'm smart, I'm independent, I can do stuff. Yeah. So... Cancer taught me just how powerless I really am to change all of the big inconveniences of my life. And really, I can plug anything to that, into that step and it works because I'm powerless over all people, all places, and all things. And so all over again, I had to admit my powerlessness. And then I had to come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity and restore my body to sanity. And then I had to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. As confusing as this whole thing was, I know who God is. Amen. So all through treatment, all I could do was trust Jesus with my life. And I said it. 
over and over again. I trust Jesus with my life. No matter what, I'm going to trust Jesus with my life. So I started chemo about 10 days after my first surgery, September 9th, 2022. The, the plan for treatment was I would take chemo and a clinical trial. They put me on a clinical trial. Uh, and I would, I would do that for 12 weeks. And then she would attempt surgery again sometime in November. Um, but I couldn't quite wrap my head around what was happening. And, but I, and I wasn't really sure that the treatment plan really offered me any real hope. Remember, I, I did my due diligence. So at that point, I figured um, treatment was, was really just going to prolong the inevitable. I felt powerless and afraid, but I knew that if I fully trusted God with my life, if I was yielding to his will, then I needed to seek him for a solution. So in October of last year, I came here for a healing prayer service. I brought my broken body and all my fears, and I just laid it all down at the feet of Jesus. I came to a place where I could be surrounded by my friends, and I could experience the love of God poured out over me. So I was anointed with oil, and I received healing prayer, and I cried, and they cried, and I'm sure Jesus wept too. The morning after the service, I woke up and stretched before I got out of bed, like anyone would do, right? It's a natural reaction. We don't think about it. We stretch. And that's what I did. And the thing is, I hadn't been able to do that in months. So then it hit me, you know, I, at the risk of sounding like a faithless heathen, I left the healing prayer service that night with no expectation. I was, you know, prayer is what we do. I'm going to give it to you, God. But I have no expectation, and I didn't expect anything to happen, is what I'm saying. Um, but that morning, and I was struck, and I remember calling Carolyn and telling her, I feel, I feel different. Something happened. Something happened. I could feel it. Like overnight, the cancer had shrunk, and particularly a mass of cells that was on my left side. It was very painful, and I couldn't stand up straight. And um, it made me stiff, and I was walking kind of hunched over like this between the surgery and the cancer that was still there. But that morning, I could pull my shoulders back and hold my head up high, and I just walked through the house praising the Lord. So I believe Jesus used that, used that service that night, and he used the thousands of prayers that y'all were lifting up on my behalf to begin the process of healing my body. He was moved by prayer and compassion. And then the way I progressed through treatment was, was also a little miraculous. Uh, I was assured that I would, I would experience some pretty harsh side effects from the chemotherapy and the clinical trial drug. Together, it was just a recipe for some sickness. Uh, and before the healing prayer service I did, I experienced some pretty, pretty rough side effects. The first chemo in particular, I was really very sick afterwards. But after the service... You know, just, I lost my hair. I had a chemo brain. Some of you might remember it was a little, a little spacey. And felt a lot of a fatigue for about four or five days after each, each treatment. But all the nausea, the vomiting, the, all the other gastrointestinal, I didn't, I didn't get hit with that. 
And then my surgery site, it healed pretty quickly and pretty completely by the time I made it to the second surgery, which is also a thing because the way chemo works, it kills fast-growing cells. So that means even healthy cells like the white blood cells and red blood cells, um, the things that work together to heal the, heal the site. So anyway, when I made it, by the time I made it to the second surgery in November, the cancer was all but gone. And I have to tell you, Kurt shared with me that Dr. Johnson literally came dancing into the waiting room after that, after that surgery. She was so excited and she was over the moon. She was like, we got it, we got it all. So when I went to my first post-op appointment, I asked my dancing doctor about that day. And she told me that it's a doctor's dream to see those kinds of results. And that she just didn't expect to see all that she didn't see at that second surgery. And then she shared with me that I had the worst case of advanced disease that she had ever seen. She didn't tell me that before, which, thank goodness, but she told me then. And it, it didn't make sense to her how well my body responded to treatment. But it made sense to me. It made sense to me. I know what happened at that service in October. Yep. Yep. I'm convinced Jesus used that prayer service and the thousands of other prayers that have been lifted up on our behalf through this whole thing. And I have to tell you, my healing, it's, it's been a process. It is in process, and it isn't fully complete yet. Even today, I take chemo medication I have regular scans and lab work, and I see my doctor every three months without fail. And I have to tell you, my, my most recent scan showed a suspicious-looking nodule in my abdomen. I got the results last Sunday morning. So, it is fine, <laughs> because this new piece of information, it doesn't change or negate or cancel out what happened in October. It just doesn't. It doesn't bring new information on that moment. It's the other way around. That moment will teach me and guide me on how to respond to this one. In other words, I won't reinterpret October through the lens of this news. The prayer service was a turning point in my treatment and in my faith. Jesus showed up, I know he did, and I trust he'll continue to be moved by compassion and he'll keep showing up in love. That's who he is. Amen. And I believe he's still working to bring healing to my body and he's choosing to use prayer along with the gifts he's given to medical professionals and his not-so-subtle miracle of modern medicine. So let's pray, y'all. Let's pray. Let's see him do it again. And listen, so much good has come from my cancer experience. I'll tell you, the slow process of my healing has left me wide open to lean on faith and to lean on all of you. I learned what it means to be the church. As I experienced this community come around my family in love and faith, I could see God at work all around me. You, prov you proved to be God's provision as cancer threatened to carry me away. You were the kind of provision that looked like friends who showed up to take care of our souls and to pray for us. You were the provision that showed up in thousands of prayers that reached out to God on our behalf.
And I'm convinced that he heard them all. And he's responded. He is responding. And so many of you made sure that our bodies were fed. You brought us meals, groceries, and care packages until I was back on my feet again. And some of you came and sat with me. You sat with me when I was at my worst. You sat with me in my grave. And you shared stories of your own cancer journey so I wouldn't feel so alone. You sent cards in the mail that expressed such deep love. You cared for our bodies and you encouraged our souls. And then God's provision in that season also looked like friends who came by to cut our grass every week. More friends who came by and cleaned our pool. Krista, who came and cleaned my house every time I had to go to treatment. So when I came home, I came home to a clean house. Yes. It also looked like loved ones who came in shifts to take care of me while Kurt was at work. And then the financial provision through generous donations covering household bills and medical expenses. And they came from everywhere. People I had never even met. I'm serious. Inside and outside of this community. It was amazing. Jesus was moved in compassion, and he sent you. And Kurt and I thank God for you, and we thank God for this community. And we can't thank you enough for taking such good care of us. Because today, I know how it feels to be loved by God and to love by y'all, to be loved by y'all in a very real, very practical, very tangible way. As Jesus is healing my body on the cellular level, he's also healing me and those around me on the cellular level. And that's the real healing, people. That's the real healing. Because through this cancer journey, God's spirit filled our home. The atmosphere in our home shifted. Brought, he brought deep healing to my family. He changed our perspective on life and on each other. We found a common goal to come around. And everything else faded into the background. And then we each begin to value each other more, and we begin to value the gift of life in a different way. So in this season of my life, as I've learned to trust God with my body, I'm also learning to trust him more with my soul. And I'm seeking healing prayer for deep internal wounds. I have had three sessions with Carolyn, and God showed up in each one, revealed places of brokenness in me that I could work on, that he could, that he could work on, and I'm learning who I truly am in Christ. I'm learning how to use my voice. And I'm learning that God trusts me. And for all those reasons, I'm deeply grateful for my experience. Jesus has used it all to shape me in unimaginable ways. And it's been worth it. I mean, it has been worth it. So even if I have to fight this thing for the rest of my life, it's okay. I'll continue to worship God with my whole self. I'll praise him all the days of my life because his love is better than life. And I know that even if he doesn't pull me out of this fire, he'll be with me in it because he has been since the very beginning. I can trust God's character. I can trust him to be there with me. So looking back on it, uh, there's, I'm, I am aware of the unique way God prepared me for this thing. Like It started in the fall of 2021, really, with this weird thought I, that I better get insurance <laughs> because I might get cancer. That was the thought. 
But I ignored it. It was strange. It didn't make any sense. So I just, I ignored it. Did not get insurance. <laughs> so, but looking back on it, I kind of can see that that was the Holy Spirit trying to help me along <laughs> before. <laughs> anyway, and I was probably already sick at the time. Really, I was already sick and I didn't know it. And then that same fall, I took a class in seminary on suffering tragedy in the Christian faith. So I studied Job and I learned all these uh, deep philosophical ideas on why suffering exists in the world and, the, and what to do when we're faced with these hard things with no answers, when things seem hopeless. And I read a book by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, he, he's a Holocaust survivor and he writes of his experience in the camps. And he says this, and there were always choices to be made. Every day, every hour, offered the opportunity to make a decision. To make a decision to determine whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threaten to rob you of your very self and your inner freedom. Which determined whether or not you would become a plaything of circumstances, renouncing freedom and dignity, to become molded into the form of a typical inmate. So yeah, we aren't victims of circumstance. I will not become a prisoner of my disease. So as I stand here, on this side of the hardest thing I've ever faced in my life, I stand here like all those brilliant philosophers <laughs> with plenty of experience and a few great ideas, but no real answers. But I can tell you there's a way through that leaves our faith intact. Because what we know is that Jesus promises healing to all of us. And we will see it. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in him will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in Jesus will never die. Do you believe it? All we can do is trust Jesus with our lives. That's it. Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. Now, as we read on, we learn that Lazarus, Lazarus did experience a real physical death before Jesus raised him. So Jesus, his remark in that passage offers us some background and it tells us this truth that no physical illness is of the absolutely fatal kind, not the kind that kills the soul. So, and, and God's glory isn't made up of sparing those he loves the difficulties in life. Instead, as troubles arise, he shows us that he's able to make the, the impossible possible through his son. And he does it in his own time, in his time. And while we wait, our job is to get all the healing we can in every way we can. So I'm not saying that I believe Jesus will raise me from the dead one day if I happen to succumb to cancer. But what I am saying is we all live inside God's promises, right? We all live inside the promise of the future. We have that hope. We have biblical hope. And biblical hope is not the hope that says bad things won't come our way. It's not the hope that's born out of wanting to avoid hardship and difficulty. It is the hope that's rooted in the good that we know will come. 
And I know that Jesus still works miracles. I also know that when I limit my understanding to how Jesus heals to only the kinds of miracles that happen in an instant, the ones in a flash, that I, or if I'm thrown off balance when Jesus doesn't show up when or how I want him to, I may miss the opportunity of seeing the subtle moves of God that shift us on the cellular level. Back in October, I got some cellular healing that set me on course for a whole lot of cellular healing, a whole lot. And my continued healing is really no less miraculous than the ones we read about in Scripture that happen in a flash. And it's all work to build my faith in powerful ways. So I trust Jesus with my life. I trust in his love for me, and I love him with my whole self in return. And I love him with the kind of love that includes the willingness to sacrifice everything I have without knowing when or how I might get it back. So I don't know what the future holds. I'm still in the process of healing, but I know Jesus heals, and I know Jesus is my healer. And I know bringing order out of chaotic lives and broken bodies is his specialty. So instead of living under a cloud of fear, I'm going to trust Jesus with my life. And I'm going to look for those subtle, cellular moves of God. And I'm going to let the hard things in life shape me for God's glory. And I'll tell of all the things he's done. And I'll let the mystery of God's work have its way. And when I do that, it becomes easy to find the purpose in all things, even the hard things, especially, especially the hard things. And I remember that Jesus promises healing to us all, and he will deliver. He will. The battle's already won. And that reminds me of a, something a friend said to me while I was going through cancer treatment. It was Jess, Jess Ferguson. I'd made this post on Facebook about losing the battle to cancer or something like that. And he gently corrected me. And he said, no one loses the fight to cancer. You fight as long as you can. Then someone else picks up the fight for you. And we fight for you through prayer, through deeds, and most importantly, through our faith. God's not done with you. So as Paul instructed us, keep the faith and fight the good fight. So I want to leave you with that good word today. Whatever you're up against in this world, keep the faith. Keep fighting. Fight as long as you can. Then hand the fight over to someone else. Hand it all over to Jesus. Trust it in the hands of Jesus. Trust it in the hands of our prayer wars. Let people serve you. Whatever you do, fight the good fight and let your faith remain intact. Thank you. So, it's okay. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. I want to pray. I want to pray over us. And then I want to invite you into prayer. If you need prayer for anything at all, I'll be over here. And Margie, she'll be over here. So please take this opportunity to fight. Fight through prayer. Fight for yourself. Fight for someone else. Fight. Lord God, we are so grateful for all of the mysterious and wonderful ways that you show up, Lord. 
My prayer for us, God, is that you'll finish the work. All of us are a work in progress. You are at work in every single life and soul in this room. We believe that with all that we are. And we're asking you, God, to complete the work. We're asking you to pour out your spirit, Lord. We're asking you to guide us and bring us peace, the kind that passes all, surpasses all understanding, Lord. And I want to pray deep healing over every soul in this room, Lord, and every body in this room, God. Do what only you can do. You, who have the power over life and death, are the only one who can heal. And we're asking you for that today, Lord. And we pray all of these things in your holy, holy name. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.